If you could ask God anything, what would you ask? Life is full of big questions. In his brand new book, Will I Be Fat in Heaven? and Other Curious Questions, J. John answers 38 questions that we ask about God, the Bible, the world, and everything in between. How can God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit be one? Why do we believe the Bible is true? Will we recognize family and friends in heaven? And life's ultimate question, does God care about me? Get your copy now at canonjjohn.com. Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is Morris Vitti, a sailor who rescues people. Morris Vitti, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. It's great to have you. I've read your two books, uh, Morris, Close to the Wind, Close to the Edge. Uh, just hugely inspiring. Now, let's start. You're a teenager and you go to a nautical school. That's right, yes, in the north of England, up in Hull. And what's the difference between a nautical school and a normal school? Well, I was able to do subjects like seamanship and navigation and chart work for GCSE. And I had to wear a uniform and a bit of discipline and things like that. But apart from that, it's just a normal school. Normal school. Now, there's a fascinating story, um, Morris, um, that after your GCSEs, so that would have been 16, mm-hmm. uh, you were hoping to go on a particular boat mm-hmm. and um, that was dependent on your GCSE results. But there was a glitch, uh, you getting the results. So you never got on that boat. No. Tell us what happened. Um, Well, the ship was the flagship of the the company that uh, I was working for, and most of the first trip cadets went on on this ship or the sister ship of it. Um, It was called the Royston Grange, and it sadly was in a collision in the River Plate coming out of Buenos Aires. Uh, It collided with a tanker, and um, the entire crew and the cadets and 12 passengers were all killed instantly in a in a inferno and 10 people on the on the uh, tanker as well it was terrible terrible tragedy 82 people killed so what what effect morris did that have on you because you must have th- thought if i'd got my gcse results i would have been there yes yes that's right um uh, I wasn't a believer, so I just probably put it down to fate. Um, but I can look back now and I see how I've been, the Lord's looked after me so many times in different situations. How did you then become a believer? Well, I met my wife, Hilary. Um, she was a believer and I wasn't. And uh, I quite liked her and I, I asked her out and she said no. So I was quite put out about, about that. I, had, I mean, I had a bright red convertible E-type Jaguar and still she said no. She's more important, more concerned about Jesus. Uh, so I thought, well, I better find out about this Jesus. And I did. I had a look into it and I, I sent off for a Bible and I went forward at a meeting and took a Gospel of John at a tract. And I went down to see her. I wasn't going out with her. I went down to see her. She was on a beach mission in Cornwall. 
Scripture Union Beach Mission. And my car broke down just as I got there. And I had to stay three days. I told her I was just passing through like you do in Cornwall. It's on the way to nowhere, isn't it? Just the, uh, just the sea, a little white lie. But I had to stay three days. And the team that she was working with who were evangelizing in Perrinporth invited me to join them. So I was there handing out tracts in Perrinporth, even though I wasn't a Christian. And uh, on the last night, I, I had the Gospel of John and I read it in my hotel room. I managed to get a room. And uh, at the end of it, there's a prayer, believer's prayer. And I prayed that prayer and it was just like a Damascus Road conversion. It was literally scales coming off, weeping, feeling totally cleansed. It was absolutely amazing. I had no idea what had happened. I just prayed a prayer. I didn't know that I'd become a Christian. Um, the next day at the team meeting in the, in the mission, I told them what had happened. And they all went mad and were celebrating and told me that I'd been born again. Absolutely. Uh, Hillary wasn't so impressed. She was a little bit sceptical, I must admit. Uh, she wasn't quite sure this was genuine. But oh, really? She, <laughs> she questioned the authenticity of this. Yes. <laughs> but as soon as she saw it was genuine, that was it. We, we were... Uh, we got together and we got married and went and joined um, the OM ship, the Logos. Yes, the Logos. And then the Lord put on your heart um, and Hillary's heart, um, the Vietnamese boat people. Mm. Um, tell us how that happened and tell us what was the situation with the Vietnamese boat people? Well, the Logos had just rescued two boats. So we, we flew out to Bangkok and they just rescued these two boatloads of refugees and they were living on the ship because the British government who owned the ship didn't want to take them. The Singapore, where it was flagged, didn't want to take them. And so we had them on board for two months and uh, it was great. I mean, most of them came to the Lord. If you're, if you're out in the sea and you're crying out to be saved and a ship comes along full of Christian volunteers from all over the world, you know God has heard you. And they, they came to the Lord and later on we would follow a lot of them up back in, in the UK and different countries. Um, but yeah, but I was very touched by their stories, um, the plight, being attacked by what, what was called pirates, you know, very vulnerable. And uh, many of them had died on the sea. and. I was praying about it on the quayside as, as these refugees left and I, I just cried out to the Lord. I, was, I really felt comp the Lord's compassion for them and I, and I cried out and the Lord spoke to me, not in an audible voice. I don't get, um, you know, nothing like that. But I knew the Lord was telling me that the compassion I felt was the compassion that he felt. And uh, I wanted to get a ship and he said, I want you to have a ship. Um, and I believe that the Lord told me then that he was going to give us a ship for that particular work. Because if other ships, if, if you stop and pick them up, you, you lose your business. You can't, cargo ships can't continue. Even the Logos had to uh, change its program. And I thought there should be ships doing that. If you were a doctor and you saw people were dying for lack of medicine, you'd, you'd feel it. And if you're a seafarer and you see people drowning on the sea... Uh, and you know you're a seafarer and, and a ship could rescue them. You feel it. So I cried out to the Lord and he, he spoke to me, yeah. And then, um, well, it was fascinating how that came about. I mean, you and your wife felt led to sell your house mm. 
in order to buy a boat. Mm. Uh, w- w- was that challenging or did, was that liberating to do because you felt the Lord wanted you to do it? Well, the house was in southeast London and it was a seven bedroom house that we'd bought initially with somebody else, but now we owned it completely. And it it'd been used as a community to reach out to Vietnamese that had settled in southeast London in Thamesmead and Deptford and places. It's called the Tin Lan, which is good news in Vietnamese community. But that phase of the work had come to an end and we didn't really need the house anymore. And we didn't know how we would be able to look after it and everything if we had a ship. So we thought, well, we'll sell the house and put it towards the ship. It wasn't enough to buy a ship outright. The Lord provided so many gifts from all over the world, really. But that, that was the thing, catalyst that started off, yeah. Yes, and it all came. And one of your favourite quotes, I gather, is, is from Hudson Taylor. Yeah, the, if the, the Lord's work done in God's way, you should not lack God's provision, yeah. And, and that's been a testimony of yours. Yes, right, right through. In fact, later on, when, when we decided the ministry had come to an end, it was the same principle that guided us, yeah. So you went and got a ship from Holland. Yep. Did it up. And then you sailed to Malta because that's where you were going to refuel in order to go to the um, China Seas. Yep. And what happened? Well, um, we popped into London on the way, and that was good. So they raised Tower Bridge, and we came right into the centre of London. And uh, all our friends saw us off and prayed for us. We had a terrible journey down to Malta. It was really rough. The sea was really rough. I don't get seasick, um, but my crew, most of them did. And it was a horrible journey. Um, And when we got there, we were a bit shattered. But also the Vietnamese boat people problem had changed. Uh, It basically had stopped. And so we were in Malta with a ship that we'd been praying for and believing for, seeing so many answers to prayer to bring it together. And we were glad the boat people situation had stopped. We didn't want that to carry on just so we could have a ministry. Yes, of course. (laughs) But but we had questions now. What, you know, what? Did I not hear from God? No, I did because of the miracles and the answers to prayer. Uh, Do we do something else? We were in a very good location to reach out into the Mediterranean. Sicily, Italy, Greece, Turkey. um, My homeland, Cyprus. Cyprus, yes, we went to Cyprus. So that's what we decided to do. Take Thebans on board and reach out, do missions and evangelism. In, around the med. So you could say uh, the Lord uh, prompted you to sell your house, to buy the boat, to get the support for a particular cause that you thought, but actually, as Romans eight twenty eight says, all things work together for good. Uh, God used it in a different way. And you were based in Malta for 10 years? Yes, yeah, nine actually. Nine. So what kind of ministry did you engage in during those nine years? Well, in the summer months, we would go out to different places. Uh, We'd get teams coming out from all over the world through our various contacts. I'd been to Bible school in America, a lot of friends out there. Um, And we went to Sicily and, and Italy and Greece and Cyprus and Albania, that's an interesting story, and Turkey went to Turkey. And then in the winter, we would work with the churches in Malta 
sometimes we didn't always go back to Malta. Sometimes we stayed out. But um, yeah, we'd do things in, in Malta, like introduce March for Jesus, which was great. Apparently it's happening this soon again in, in uh, America. Still continues. Uh, a ship is a great place because it's neutral and people can come on board. You can have leaders meetings. Uh, men like to come on a ship. They might not go in a church, but they want to come on a ship and be shown around and we offer to help out and things. So, yeah, it was just fantastic, really. I mean, basically, it's uh, a floating church. Yes, yes. You know, proclaiming good news. Yes. But you did go near Albania. Tell yeah. us about that. Well, this is going back some years now to when Albania was still a communist uh, country and we couldn't go into Albania because there was a minefield 12 miles off the coast, uh, according to the chart anyway. We didn't have and, to... and what does that mean, Morris, when you say minefield? Well, apparently they've put mines to stop you going near their coast. You, nobody could go into Albania and if you tried, you might get blown up. And, and you don't know where they are? No, no. So we didn't go further than 12 miles. But what we did do is uh, we decided to, to send the gospel in by balloon, which sounds a bit wacky, but um, we got all these, these tracks in Albanian. And we attached them, put them in a plastic uh, container, plastic seal, uh, Transworld Radio frequency on board, on them, fill these balloons up with helium. We had to have massive big gas bottles that we bought in Malta and uh, filled up thousands of these things and sent the word of God into Albania by balloon, basically. So you basically just found the way. Yes. You couldn't access the actual land, so you thought, well, let's just send them. Yes, we had the correct wind. I mean, we'd calculated it all. Too much gas in the in the balloons and they would go too high and burst. Too little and they would fall in the sea. Uh, you know, we did a lot of research on it and, and organised it. And we had the right wind. And uh, we prayed as they went in that, uh, that our weapons were against principalities and powers and pulling down strongholds. And so we just prayed that somehow the word of God we were not the only ones that were missionaries in the country in the Catholic churches there but we just prayed that this little contribution would have something to do with it and we actually found out that the next day was was the day that people started running into the embassies and and the country started to open up actually yeah the next day the day after you released the balloons yes but I'm not saying there's any connection. I'm just. Uh, but there could have been. But there could have been. You know, maybe that was a symbolic representation of the gospel. Yeah. That was the cherry on the cake or the tipping point. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it, yeah, it was. So if there's a conference on evangelism, you can uh, you can take seminars on balloon evangelism. <laughs> <laughs> I can. But uh, during these years, uh, so many testimony, you have, must have so many testimonies of God's provision. And there's one particular one when you ran out of stock, mm. uh, you actually ran out of food. Mm. Um, and this ship came and 
parked. Is that the word? You don't say parked. Birthed, yeah. Birth, yeah. sorry. <laughs> birth next to you. But uh, go on. How did it end up being birthed next to you and what happened? Well, there were no uh, spare berths in, in the harbour, in Grand Harbour in Valletta. So they were told to tie up on the outside of us. And they had a new chief steward, purser. They were doing a crew change. And the purser said to me, I was chatting to him, he said, oh, I'm the new purser. He said, and every time I join a ship, I start everything, everything has to be new. So I get rid of everything that's on board, the stock, the food, and I order all new things. Can you use any of our food? And we said, oh, uh, yes, we, we certainly can. Thank you very much. And we loaded thousands of pounds worth of food. And it was it's the kind of thing you wouldn't normally buy, like really good steaks. And, you know, he's able to do abundantly more than we ask or think. And, and that was an example of it. And it was marvellous, really, just because we prayed about it in the morning. We'd got no money and no food. We asked the Lord to provide. And that happened about three hours later. I mean, it's incredible. And and the fact that uh, the ship couldn't berth where it should have berthed and it had to berth next to you. Yeah. And as a result, you saw the chief steward. I mean, it's incredible. It is, yeah. When you needed an encouragement, the Lord produced it. Yes, and I, I think the Lord knew that what we were doing would have been very irresponsible unless he was in it. Um, you don't just buy a ship with young people and uh, and go off. It would be a very reckless thing to do. And we needed that assurance all the time that God was in this, God was doing this. It's like Moses said, if you don't uh, go with us, do not lead us on from here. So all of those things, they were an encouragement to me and all, all the people that had sent allowed their youngsters to come with us, the parents of youngsters, they were... They could see the Lord at work providing, and that gave everybody confidence that we were safe. But the Lord has certainly given you a, a compassion um, for needy people, a particular needy people. So, um, for example, many families got separated and um, children got lost, mm. and, and you went to search them, search mm. for them. Mm. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, after we got back from the Logos, before we'd even got the ship, we followed up the, the Vietnamese from the Logos and we came across more and more and more on the estates in southeast London. We found people who'd been separated from their children and we were able to reunite maybe six or seven children with their parents over a period of several years. There was one little boy, Do Can Doi, I, I remember. We we went out to a little island off the coast of Malaysia and found him. Um, it was amazing how we found him, really amazing how we even got permission to go to this island. But how did you know that they may have been someone on that island? Well, we'd, we'd, we'd flown out to Kuala Lumpur and we'd visited a big refugee camp just outside Kuala Lumpur where we met a family who were later going to come and live in our house. We didn't know then, but they lived with us in Woolwich couple of years later uh, and they knew of this this uh, boy and his auntie uh, her mother his mother was back in England and she'd had another baby who this boy hadn't even seen so we were going around with uh, with a photograph and details asking the United Nations to help asking showing it around refugee camps and somebody knew him said they think he's in this camp 
So you went to the camp, and how big was the camp? It was tiny, actually. It was on a it was on a, a beautiful little island. It was like paradise. And I remember saying to Hillary, "Why why do we bring these refugees from this paradise and put them on housing estates in southeast London? We you know where they're behind peepholes and locked doors and things." But it was the end of the road for them. I saw there was a graveyard on this island and lots of little crosses, and some of them were children. And I realised this this was the end of the road, and they were fleeing for freedom, and so it, they needed they needed to pursue it and and get to to the west, and we we had to get the permission from the actual president of Malaysia to to go to get into this particular island because nobody would let us go and people pretended it didn't exist it was all hush hush and so how, how did you get permission from the president well we we asked to him if we could meet with him in Kuala Lumpur uh, his, his office and palace there is right next to a church we were going to the abundant life center and we just made a request and uh, he granted it and we went and said if if you let us do this, when we get back to England, we will write articles about how the world is turning its back and countries like you, Malaysia, are stuck with all these refugees and, and other countries should be taking them from you. And so he was pleased with that and that's exactly what we did. It wasn't a lie. We did do that and um, we've been doing it ever since. So when, so when you found the little boy and you explained to him, you knew where his mother was, what what happened? Oh, it was just it was just absolutely amazing. And uh, when he when he eventually flew into England, I was at Heathrow with his mother and uh, and his uh, little brother that he hadn't even met t- to greet him. And uh, yeah, it was just wonderful. Moments like that are what it's all about because sometimes you feel like you're you're not getting anywhere and labour's in vain. But then things like that happen and. It's wonderful. Absolutely. Well, uh, so after those nine years, um, it felt right to sell the ship. Um, that that part of the ministry, it was a chapter, wasn't it? And then, what did the Lord lead you on to after that? Well, we came back uh, as a family. We had two children then. Uh, our daughter was eleven, and our son was five. So it was a good time to put them into secondary schools and primary schools. So we came back to Southeast London. We were part of the Ichthus Church then. Yes. Um, and I ended up leading an Ichthus congregation in Southeast London for eight years, actually. Um, and obviously, following up where we could, doing what we could talking about refugees when we got the opportunity and visiting them in in the estates around London, but also around the UK, occasionally of France and Canada and different places. And I mean, the Lord has really put that on your heart and Hillary's heart. T- tell us, Morris, what is the situation um, in Europe in particular regarding refugees? Well, We've seen the pictures on our TV screens and it's worse than ever, really, probably worse since the Second World War. Millions of refugees and displaced people. Some of them are fleeing for their lives. Some of them are are economic migrants who just see no hope and no future for themselves and are doing probably what we would do in their circumstance and try and find a better life for their their family. Um, 
one of the things we want to do is just educate people that these are just ordinary people, you know, they're not, um, some, sometimes politicians play on our fears and our ignorance and, and try and tell us, you know, that all the refugees are come are ISIS and they're coming to kill us or they're drug lords and rapists and things like that. But they're, they're ordinary people. I mean, everyone will remember that picture of that little child on the beach in Turkey. Yes. Two things struck people, the sadness of the photo, but the fact that he had a really nice coat as well. And it just struck people. These are actually people that we, middle class people with jobs that we meet. It could be our family. And there was a little girl in the in the river between Mexico and the States who was found with her arm round her dad, uh, both of them dead. And the, the, they're ordinary people. And that is the book of people that are refugees, ordinary people. So how how is the situation going to be resolved? And, and what should we as Christians be doing about it? Well, I'm glad you asked me that because... Um, Jesus said, as often as you do this to the least of these little ones of mine, you do it to me. The sheep and the goats. When did we feed you? When did we take you in? When did we visit you? Jesus said, as often as you did this to the least of one of these, you did it to me. And we as Christians, but not just, we don't have a monopoly on goodwill. There's plenty of good people of no faith and other faiths. But we of all people, followers of Jesus, mustn't harden our hearts. We mustn't get fed up with this problem. We must keep our humanity. We must keep showing love and compassion uh, to the refugee and to the migrants and to the people who are homeless. It's so many sad stories, so many tragic stories. Um, And Jesus, you know, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to care for the poor and the homeless and the refugee. It's just part of the calling. It is in my Bible anyway. Uh, and, but tangibly, Morris, how, how can most of us do something? Uh, I mean, we, yes, we will pray, uh, but what do we need to pray? Do we need to pray that the governments of the world have a change of heart? How do we help the people in a tangible way? Yeah. We, I still think there is a place for ships and boats. Uh, I, we do have a boat at the moment, which is strategically placed, which we're open to whatever the Lord wants to do through us. But that's obviously a drop in the ocean. The, although Mother Teresa says the ocean's made up, made of, up drops, of drops. Absolutely. So we don't despise that. No. Um, but we really need governments and navies and, and everybody. Uh, and I, sometimes I... I do a bit of teaching uh, on the side for people who work on uh, the maritime industry. And I think about the mega yachts, the thousands of mega yachts that are just laid up all year and, and, and billionaires that are keep buying these fantastic yachts. And I think just 1% of those could be mobilized and used to go out on the sea and just save these people from drowning. But that's that's the sea, and not a lot of people can relate to that. But there's charities you can support. There's ways of volunteering. Lots of things. Honestly, Morris, you and Hillary, your wife Hillary, uh, are, are angels, um, and um, it's wonderful that you heard God's call 
and you stepped out in faith and the Lord has provided. And it's just, I was deeply moved um, by that, by many of your stories, but in particular, that story of you finding that lost boy. Morris Vitti, thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. Thank you, it's a privilege. I was stirred, I'm sure you were too. How wonderful to hear how the Lord has led Morris and his wife Hilary. It was so inspiring and it certainly gave me a faith lift. Let's pray for all those people in the world who don't yet have a home and the Lord will guide his church to know what we all should do to help them. Thank you for joining Facing the Canon. Please join us again. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. If you could ask God anything, what would you ask? Life is full of big questions. In his brand new book, Will I Be Fat in Heaven? and Other Curious Questions, J. John answers 38 questions that we ask about God, the Bible, the world, and everything in between. How can God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit be one? Why do we believe the Bible is true? Will we recognize family and friends in heaven? And life's ultimate question, does God care about me? Get your copy now at canonjjohn.com.